Well, Joe, your stats are very respectable. You've done some solid work here. But it's not quite Ivy League now, is it? You know, Bill, there's one thing I've learned in all my years. Sometimes you gotta say, what the fuck? Make your move. I beg your pardon? So, how we doing? Looks like University of Illinois. Uh, the great Von Miller is 29. Oh, how did I miss that? Man, how did his career oh, go by that? Another Dancing with the Stars. Von Miller? Oh, yeah. Delicate. What year? Uh, 22. Tw what? Se season. Well, what season? Oh, uh, uh, sorry. Done? Von Miller? Yeah. No. Done? Done doing what? He said, how did his career go by so fast? Well, he's 29. Like it just he's feels like it's, it's over with. Well, it feels like it's happening very fast. Yeah, we're burying the lead. What place? Um, seventh. Seventh. See, we don't. Uh, well, there's no right. way. There's no right. had active players in there. He's right. There's no way to. Ch oh, you can check this. He's right. All right. <laughs> it's on. Uh, yeah, it's on. Uh, Wikipedia. That's badass. Darius Hayward Bay is thirty. Was he correct on his first one? Yes, the, he was. I don't check him. He's badass. always right. What a monster I'll tell you, what, Ty, you are. If you ever catch like, him giving false Mike information with the presidents, you need oh, to I'll, call him immediately yes. out. I'll totally call Tony out. <laughs> Joey Mullins, sixty-one. Howdy ho, everyone. This is the Ballroom Blitz. I am Tony the Engineer. Welcome back. Well, here we go with episode five of the Ballroom Blitz, and we'll be talking about week four of Dancing with the Stars, season 30, of course, and it occurred on Monday and Tuesday, October 11th and 12th. Now, you heard me right. I said Monday and Tuesday, and boy, does that bring back uh, great memories of the glory days of the show when we would have a Monday night performance show and then a Tuesday night elimination. Uh, the scoring system was down pat. We didn't have any issues with that. Um, it was so great having two shows each week. And of course, those days are long gone. Now we've got the just once a week and the crazy scoring where half the country doesn't get to vote in real time. But <laughs> I don't want to start out negative here. Let's just forget that. It was great uh, Monday and Tuesday night on the 11th and 12th for Disney night. Monday night was uh, Heroes Night, and Tuesday night was Villains Night. So the contestants got to dress up as Heroes on Monday and Villains on Tuesday. And a real quick shout out to the uh, wardrobe department and the set design department. You know, they're kind of like all going crazy because of COVID and they can only do so much with each other in the rooms and all kinds of different things. But they did a fantastic job of not only with the set design, but the uh, wardrobes for everybody. Um, if I had to give a 
I guess the first place to, I guess it would be The Miz. If you saw him, he was dressed up as the Blue Genie. I guess that was Aladdin. I don't know Disney real well. On Monday night, and then I think a Lion King, an evil Lion King character on Tuesday night. But just fantastic work done by those guys. And, you know, they do all that work, that hard work of setting up and costume design for a 90-second dance. So it's amazing. It's a very entertaining show, and it still is for me. So uh, I hope you guys enjoyed it, too. So let's just do some highlights here of Monday night first. What we're going to do is we do have, you know, full set of dances each night. So I'm going to hit them all because it is a talking show about Dancing with the Stars, but we're not going to go into super in-depth about them. Um, but I did want to give you a little bit of the highlights first about Monday's show before we get into the dances. Uh, Cody, Cheryl, and Derek were all back. As you know, they all had uh, COVID issues. Both Cody and Cheryl came down with COVID. Derek just had a possible exposure to it. So they all had to miss uh, the ballroom a week ago, but they're all back. They all went through the protocol. Now, Cody didn't get back until Friday before Monday's show, so he and Cheryl really only had two days to practice, and that's not optimal, and it certainly showed in their dances, but we'll get into that in a little bit later. Um, you know, I want to say off the top here, too, I thought Tyra was a little better the last couple days on uh, uh, Disney Week. You know, um, she has a certain habit, I think, rubs people the wrong way. There's lots of habits, it appears, rub, rub people the wrong way. But a couple that really bother me a little bit is she tends to shout talk. If you remember, Oprah used to do this at the end of her show or beginning of her show when she was introducing a guest, like, ladies and gentlemen, here's Tom Cruise. And, you know, she would shout talk the name. And I don't know, it just seems like, a, hey, look at me rather than look who's coming out. And uh, Tyra does that a lot. And I didn't notice it as much on Monday and Tuesday. And then another thing she likes to do is put emphasis on her, her uh, wording or numbering. Like when she says text in to a certain number, she'll be like, okay, if you want to vote for Cody, text in to three, four, two, one. Talks real is staccato and kind of forceful. And I think that's kind of goofy too that you don't need to do it. But And I didn't see her doing it that night. So I'm kind of wondering if maybe someone got to her, the producers or something, and said, hey, we're watching all the the tweets and the Twitter and all this the stuff about you. How about dialing this back a little bit? I don't know. Maybe it was just one night thing, uh, two night thing. I did notice that her costume or her outfit for the first part of the first night had this thing that went up her neck, kind of like a choker thing. I'm thinking, well, maybe that cut off her wind a little bit and she wasn't going as crazy with the talking, but we'll see if that uh, continues next week. Um, the first night they had a Mickey Mouse dance challenge for two extra points. I thought it was kind of goofy. They made a really, you know, big deal of this. And basically they had Mickey come on and just do a couple dance moves. And all the contestants had to incorporate that into their dance for a measly two points. I, you know, if you're going to do something like that, make it worth five points or something that really makes a difference, especially when there's so many people still left. And they're all kind of jumped in the bundled in the middle. I thought that was kind of goofy, but anyways, they did that. And Jimmy won that, by the way, Jimmy Allen. The first nines were given out on Monday. We haven't had any nines yet this season, and boy, we had a ton of them Monday. Uh, Melora Harden was the top scorer of the night, thirty-six, four nines. She continues to impress, and uh, Cody and, and Cheryl, like I said, got back at it. And Cody needs to get it in gear. I know they only had two full days to practice together. Um, he's supposed to be the alpha male on the show this season, and I think Jimmy's better dancing better than him and maybe a couple other guys, and I know he's had a rough go, but there's no more excuses coming up. Next week, 
He has a full week to practice with Cheryl, and he needs to take over that mantle of the best male dancer because so far, not seeing a whole lot. And then at the end of the evening, they were supposed to have an elimination, I believe. No one ever really announced it, but everything they were talking about sounded like they were going to have an elimination. And someone leaked a... uh, I don't even know what you'd call it, some kind of show information about upcoming weeks. And supposedly they were going to have on that that piece of paper an elimination Monday and one Tuesday. Well, something happened on Monday at the end of the show. And I knew right away it wasn't going to happen because they came back and I'm like, you got like a minute left. What's going on here? And because they keep it right at, you know, ending at 9 p.m. our time in Dallas. And then they went to the judges and Tyra was having the judges make small talk. And I'm like, okay, there's no elimination tonight because they're just wasting time. And then sure enough, they start scrolling the credits at the end and there's really no time then. And sure enough, she says, yeah, no elimination tonight. So there was a double elimination on night two. But let's look at the night one dances really quickly here. Uh, Jojo was up first with the Viennese waltz and boy, G- Jojo and, and Jenna, they're a solid pair, you know, and uh, it, they're doing really well. Uh, they're going to be in the finals. I'm almost positive. Uh, Jojo has kind of toned down her act of the girly girl with the sparkles in the hair and, and the rainbows and, and, and unicorns everywhere. And she's really kind of growing up in front of us, I think. And she's acting more mature. Her dances are always really high quality. And she's kind of taken over the male of the uh, couple there as Jenna is smaller than her in stature. And she's doing a fantastic job of that because, you know, the male is generally supposed to lead in these dances and, and she's showing great leadership in that respect. Uh, had a score of 35. Mel C was up next uh, with the jazz number. It was okay. Uh, Mel's really good. Uh, I Again, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. I hope Gleb, her partner, really kicks up his uh, choreography for her because he's not had great success on the show as a pro, still looking for his first mirror ball. And he's got a good partner this year, so uh, let's hope that she does get better. She only got a 31 for that dance. Uh, they did a lot of side-by-side since it was a jazz routine, and and they weren't really in sync a whole lot. But she's so good that she kind of makes up for it a little bit. Uh, next up, Matt, the bachelor. And he was doing a quick step, and it's a continual thing with him. They talk about his technique and his footwork. But as I said previously, for a guy from the bachelor nation he's not if he's not the best he's one of the best they've ever had on the show so i hope he lasts a while uh we already know who's been eliminated so we're just going to play along like we don't know who's been eliminated this week (laughs) uh jimmy was up next did a pasta doble uh boy he's he's surprising me did did really well oh by the way matt had a 26 out of his uh, 40 possible and they got the two bonus points for the mickey dance challenge and uh it was really good. You know, you had to incorporate that into your dance somehow without it like sticking out and looking out of place. They did a good job with that. And like I said, Jimmy's just a pretty good dancer. So uh, they did well. And Jimmy got a total of 30. Thought he could have got a little bit higher than that. But, you know, that's probably about right, I guess. Uh, Amanda was up next with Alan. They did a, a rumba and... Amanda's good every week. She had a total score of 32, four eights. She's better than that. And they missed the, the Mickey dance challenge. They uh, were out of sync terribly on that. And even I noticed that as a, as a layman. And there was a hop in there that Alan did and she didn't do. And, you know, that Mickey dance challenge was supposed to be identical movements from both of you. So that was a glaring uh, omission there. That's probably why she got the 32. Uh, Olivia up next, uh, dancing a samba. 
And Olivia is another one of these surprises for me. As far as I know, no dance experience. And she did really well for a non-dancer, really well for a dancer, I think. Good score. She had a score of 35. Uh, the Miz was up next, the wrestler. And uh, again, really cool outfit he had on as the genie from Aladdin, I think it was the movie it was from. The blue makeup, boy, it was uh, it was pretty striking. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he's a wrestler, so he's in good shape. And he looked really good, I thought, with the blue makeup on. Uh, he's just a, a good dancer, you know. I don't think he's going to turn into a great dancer. But for a guy with no background in it, uh, I think he's doing fantastic. He had a score of 31 for the night. Uh, let's see, who is up next? Uh, Kenya. And she did a contemporary. And Kenya's really good, too. It's a, one of those that, that I think no dancing background, doing well. They had some problems with lifts in this contemporary they do. Usually lifts have a lot of, or tempor contemporary dances have a lot of lifts in them. And... You know, there's a technique to that, obviously, and going into them and coming out of them. And they had a few problems with that. So she got a score of 29. Uh, let's see. Brian Austin Green up next with DeWaltz. And Brian, you know, I think is the, the least talented dancer left. And it was very stiff and just not didn't flow real well like DeWaltz is supposed to do. And I had heard, too, that he had some kind of medical issues. He was in an auto accident or something. And usually the show will highlight stuff like that when someone's been through something physical and it might limit them a little bit in their dancing ability. For some reason, they've never mentioned that. And uh, they've been too busy mentioning the love interest with his partner, Sharna. But uh, not that that's going to change his scores anyways, but that might be one reason he doesn't seem to be able to get too much better as we go along. Score of 25 for the evening. Uh, Suni, the gymnast up next. And she continues to come out of her shell a little bit. Uh, she's always strong technically, but she is kind of opening up a little, a little bit, getting more expressive, and that's what she needs to do. So keep on that path. Melora Harden next. Uh, she's another one of those surprises for the season for me. Again, someone I don't think's had a ton of dance dance background. She's always really good with her quick uh, I'm sorry, her technique. This was a quick step, and the judges like her a lot. Len likes her a lot. I know. And that's a really good thing to have where the judges are on your side when you have a judge's save every week. So I expect her to hang around for a while. And uh, score of the night, it was a 39, four nines. So uh, pretty impressive there from Laura. Here's Cody up next. He did a jive with Cheryl. Boy, it was really goofy. And, you know, I, know, I keep saying goofy. I know that's a Disney character too, I guess. But you know, for being a ringer, again, he's not showing that. And again, I got to give him a little pass because of the COVID thing. But usually I think when you're that good a dancer, you can work around stuff like that. But maybe not. Maybe that's just too hard to not see your partner and not be with her at all. So again, I'm looking for big things coming up this week for Cody. We'll see how that plays out. Cody had a score of 27. Iman, the basketball player, was next doing a foxtrot. And you know, for being such a large, lanky, tall guy, he really looks pretty elegant, which is hard to do when you're that kind of size, especially, again, when you're a foot and a half taller than your partner. For some reason, Len is not a fan of his. I know his technique's not the greatest, but uh, again, I think Len could give him a little bit of a break. Len gave him a six, where everybody else gave him an eight for a total score of uh, 30 for the night. 
And then, uh, yeah, we mentioned Jimmy got the two extra bonus points for the evening. And since there was no elimination, we're not even going to go over all the scores because it's a two-night scoring thing for the double elimination that would happen on the next night. And let's jump into uh, week week four Disney night number two. So uh, Jimmy started it off with a jazz routine, and he got a 35. Again, well-deserved 35, I think. Uh, Jimmy should last a while to me. Uh, he's probably got good fan support. We've talked about the country music people do pretty well on this show in general, and he's a good dancer, and I do think the judges are a fan of his, so I expect Jimmy to last a while. Cody was up next with the Viennese Waltz. Um, again, it was a little wonky. It, 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 it wasn't the kind of caliber we expect from him. Again, he only had two days of practice with Cheryl. So uh, uh, one more time, I... I know I sound like a broken record here, but Cody needs to step it up next week. So we'll see what happens next week for him. They had a 31, which was probably about right. Again, much much less than Jimmy got of the 35. Mel C was up with the uh, Viennese Waltz next. And again, uh, Cody just did a Viennese Waltz and then Mel C did it. And Mel C was a better dancer in this Waltz than Cody was. And the judges gave her credit for that and gave her a 35 out of the possible 40, which is a good score. So Mel C's probably fine going on. Uh, next up, Jojo with a Paso Doble with Jenna. And again, a lot of content in this. Jenna's a great choreographer and she's given Jojo a lot, giving Jojo a lot because she knows she can handle it. And boy, that just makes everybody and everything look so much better. Not only are you doing the dances correctly, but you're doing hard dances correctly. And the judges certainly pick up on that in, in their votes. And, uh, you know, again, she the Pasa Doble is a very controlled, forceful dance. Controlled force, I guess, is a good way to put it. And with JoJo being so young and having so much energy, I thought there might be an issue there. But again, for her youth, she did a really good job of that. So uh, they got a score of 35. Kenya was up next with another Viennese waltz. And Kenya always looks fantastic. You know, she's a 50 year old woman that's uh, kept it together really well. And she looks fantastic in everything she wears. I think she's a good solid dancer, not the greatest dancer and probably won't continue to last too much longer because she has no or very little fan support. So we'll have to see how that plays out for her, but she's dancing all right. I thought it was a little uh, low of a score of 30 they gave her, but uh, She's still a pretty good dancer. Uh, Iman up again, doing the Argentine tango as the genie. And again, he did a couple moves in here that were just iconic. And they were lifts. He had a lift at the beginning of the dance of Daniela, his partner, and at the end of the dance. And if you haven't seen those, go back and look at them. Uh, You know, I kind of have top 10 lists of things in, in the history of the show. And I certainly note lifts when they do them well. And before this, I always thought Calvin Johnson's lift of Lindsay, his partner, a few seasons back was one of the best ever. He kind of picked her up and did a spinning cartwheel in midair with her. And I just I go back and look at it still. And I'm like, how'd they do that? I've since seen that done one other time. But Iman lifted up Daniela in a way I've never seen. She was laying flat on the, on the ballroom floor. He reaches down and picks her up by her hips and lifts her up in the air over his head, and she didn't move from the plank position. 
You know, and this is a static movement. This isn't a flowing movement where you have momentum helping you. He reaches down, picks her as dead weight off the ground by her hips, lifts her up, and she has that strength of her core, of course, to keep her body in a plank position. I thought when I saw it at the beginning of the dance, I did it twice in the beginning and the end, that uh, there has to be some wires or something there. Nope, it was all just strength of both of them, and uh, that's going to go down as one of the most iconic lifts in the history of the show. Len got a little better in his score. They gave him a 33 for his dance. Um, but again, if Iman ever gets in the bottom two, he's probably not going to have a friend in Len, that's for sure. Uh, Melora was up next, and she did a jazz routine. And, you know, the jazz routine is kind of neat. You get to do a lot of moves that you might normally not see in other kinds of dances. You know, each of these dances has specific moves for that dance. The jazz is kind of like, uh, do whatever you want. I know there's a, probably a few things they have to do in it, but that's good for Melora, I think. And she looks good in everything she's wearing, and she's a performer. You know, she's a an actor, actress, and she knows how to perform these, and jazz is one of those good performing routines. And it went so well that three judges gave her a nine, and then Len, you know Len's a fan of hers, Len gave her the 10, the first perfect score of the season. I don't think it was a 10, and obviously the other judges didn't either, but again, Len sometimes has his favorites, and he rewards those favorites, just as he has people that he's not that crazy about. He doesn't score Iman very well at all, and he tends to, a lot, a lot of people would think, overscore Melora. But anyways, it was a great dance, and she got 37 uh, for the night and the first 10 of the season. Okay, we're doing the next dance, and it's Miz, uh, the wrestler, and he did an Argentine tango. Uh, he's always solid, and I said I mentioned earlier he's, he had the best makeup, I think, both nights. So they did a fantastic job of dolling him up. But he's just a solid dancer, and I don't expect him to last all the way to the finale, but he might last a few more weeks, especially since everybody else left is really kind of solid too, and there's no one really that stands out above him in that middle pack, so he might last a little bit longer. Score 34, that seemed reasonable. Um, Brian Austin Green again up with the Pasa Doble, and it just wasn't very good, and we mentioned in night one that he's probably the weakest dancer left. But uh, I, I don't know. It just didn't go over very well. I don't even know how to describe it. And the judges didn't like it either. What did they have to say? Uh, they didn't have too much to say. They said it was a valiant effort, but it just kind of wasn't there. And uh, his score ref reflected that. Three sevens and a six. 27 for Brian Austin Green. Uh, Matt the Bachelor up. He was also doing a Pasa Doble. Uh, Matt is solid, kind of like Miz is solid, I think. Very decent dancers for guys with no backgrounds. Um, it was pretty fierce. He's, he, his character comes out. You know, I, when I first saw Matt, and from what I've heard about him on The Bachelor, he wasn't a super popular guy, and he seemed a little toned down, but he's kind of opened up a little bit on this show too, and he looks great, and he dances well, but he's not having a lot of Bachelor uh, support from what we're seeing in the fan vote, so he could be in trouble. Uh, score 31. Next up, Olivia doing the jazz routine, and love to watch her. Uh, the judges like her. Everything was good. Three nines and an eight, 35. Val, of course, had to hog the camera again, so always watch Val when uh, they're doing the judges' critique. He's always got to get his two cents in. Uh, Suni up next with the Viennese waltz. 
again, she's just continuing, I think, to get a little better and better with her expressions and her coming out of her shell. The technique's always going to be there for her, I think, score 35. And then Amanda was up finally to end night two, and she did a pasta doble. Their costumes were fantastic. She looked fantastic, and she hit her stride that with that uh, pasta doble, four nines, got her a total of 36. Uh, the judges are kind of tough on her. They nitpick her a lot because of her dance background, but in the end, they still give her good scores. So we expect Amanda to last a very long time. Okay, that's the end of the dances for night two. So they totaled up all the numbers, and on the judges' scorecard, the top three were all women. No surprise. Melora, Olivia, and JoJo. And then the bottom three were all men. Again, no surprise. Brian, Matt, and Cody. As we've talked about, this is a top-heavy women's field. The women are much better dancers overall than the men in this field. Uh, a little surprising, Cody being in the bottom three. Uh, not so much for me because he hasn't danced well. But still, we can. I consider him the ringer on the men's side. And he was in the bottom three after the judges' score for both nights. So then they add in the fan vote. And, of course, Cody, with his fan base from Peloton, jumps out of the bottom three. And Kenya Moore, the real housewife, falls into the bottom three. So we got Brian Austin Green, uh, Matt the Bachelor, and Kenya in the bottom three. Well, what they decided to do was they said whoever finished in the total bottom, when you add up both the judges and, and uh, fan vote, they're going home. And the person at the very bottom of the leaderboard this week was Brian Austin Green. So no surprise there for me. A lot of people acted surprised, I, I guess because of the, show, the, the, the romance with Sharna, and he's kind of a, one of the bigger names in terms of people on the show, I guess, this season. But not a very good dancer, and obviously didn't have much fan support either because they were in the very, very bottom. So Brian Austin Green goes home as the first eliminated person. That leaves Matt and Kenya as the two remaining ones to be saved by the judges. And they said at the beginning that unless there's a unanimous unanimous decision by the first three judges, uh, Len, the head judge, will make the final call. And it was not unanimous. Bruno and Carrie Ann did pick to save Matt. Derek picked to save Kenya. And so that meant those three really didn't matter anymore because Len was going to make the deciding call. And Len decided to save Kenya more. So Matt, the bachelor, goes home. And, you know, this is the first time a bachelor has gone home so early in the show's history. A uh, little shocking, but at the same time, from what I've heard about Bachelor Nation people, that Matt wasn't a super popular guy on the show. And, you know, somebody like a Joe Amamiel, who I guess was very popular, heck, he had a nickname, Joe the Grocer or something. He came on the show and lasted forever, and Joe wasn't nearly as good a dancer as Matt. But that's the way this thing uh, kind of sorts itself out from time to time. So uh, two people went home in Disney Week, Brian Austin Green, and Matt the Bachelor. Okay, well, that's a little Dancing with the Stars talk uh, of the current season. Let's go back and look at some of the historical things of Dancing with the Stars. We've been doing some top 10 lists, and this week I wanted to do the top 10 male dancers. We did the top 10 worst dancers on the male side and female side the last two weeks. And I thought it'd be fun to look at the best male dancers that we have. So, uh, well, as always, this is just my opinion. So, you know, take that into effect. Don't get too mad when you... Oh, there we go. The opinion alert. Yep. <laughs> Gets me every time. 
So these are my opinions. You're not going to have the same opinions of me as me. And we might have some uh, identical ones. Who knows? But uh, we're going to go with the top 10 male dancers of all time. Now, this, this list not going to have as many participants or potential participants as the all-female list, which we'll probably do next week. Uh, again, in the history of the show, much more better women dancers than men dancers. And I'm pretty comfortable with my top seven. Maybe the order could be moved around a little bit, but the top seven guys I'm pretty comfortable with. The eight, nine, and 10, I was more wishy-washy on, and there's a ton of guys that could easily move into seven, eight, nine if you want to try to convince me at my email address, dwtsp1 at yahoo. And some of the guys that didn't make my list that could have very easily, Apollo Ono, Charlie White, Evan Lysacek, James Maslow, William Levy, that's just a group there, all really good dancers, and they all possibly could have made my list, but um, I stuck with people that had a little more personal, I guess, relationship with me or, or me with them, liking them for certain reasons. So we'll get into that in just a second. I did want to give an honorable mention for the top 10 list that I don't, I think he deserves to be in the list, but I don't know where I would put him because he had a shortened season, and that's the season 26 champion, Adam Rippon or Rippon. Rippon or Rippon? I'm not sure how you pronounce that. can't remember now. It's only been a few seasons. But he was an Olympic ice skater, ice dancer, and he was fantastic, and he won season 26. But he only had six dances. You know, season 26 was that miserable – I shouldn't say miserable. Any, any part of the show I love, but it was awful four weeks mini season. You can't have a four-week mini season. I, I had friends that were like, is Dancing with the Stars going to be on this season? Uh, yeah, I just completed. What? <laughs> they didn't even know about it because it came and went so fast. So uh, Adam was really, really good, but I don't think he has enough dances to put him on my top 10 list. That's why it's another reason I hated that season. You didn't get to see the arc of these guys and gals. Did they? Were they going to get better? Did they hit the rough spot and regress or did they keep improving? But Adam deserves an honorable mention for sure. Okay, my number 10 member of the top 10 male dancers of all time is Rashad Jennings. He was the season 24 champion, and he's a personal favorite of mine. That's why I would put Rashad in there over those other guys I mentioned. Uh, whether he was a better dancer or not, I don't know, but they were all very, very good that I just mentioned earlier, and Rashad was too, and he won season 24, which had a lot of good dancers in it, Simone Biles, Normani Corday, Heather Morris, and uh, I think he deserved it. And there's a couple things that help get on the list too for me. If you're in a top 10 list of mine, and he has a top 10 dance of all time that, that I like, so that puts him in that list too. And you know, all these guys in the list, they're all complete dancers. You can't go wrong with any of them. They could do anything. They could do any dance style, any dance move just about. And so there's been a lot of good male dancers too on the show, but some of them were limited and they could only do certain things. And they didn't go out of the comfort zone, either by design or because they couldn't. So uh, Rashad Jennings, I think, is a early uh, participant at number 10. He also had a fantastic relationship with his partner, Emma. And that goes into it, too. When people seem to get along really well and it's comfortable to watch them, it makes it more fun to watch. Uh, number nine on the list, this guy probably is the greatest non-dancer ever in the history of the show, meaning he's got no background at all from what I understand, is uh, James Hinchcliffe. The uh, Indy car driver, season 23, finished in second place. Uh, again, no dance experience that I know of, and a lot of people have him in the top 10 
whether they're thinking about dance or no dance. And so I think he deserves to be in here too. Really high average score for the season. And uh, many times Sharna has mentioned that, Sharna was his partner, that uh, he's their, her greatest you know, partner that, uh, as far as dancing goes. And it's a shame they didn't win, but they ran into a buzzsaw named Lori Hernandez in season 23, so no one was going to beat her. And James had a hor- horrific IndyCar crash, too, just the year before, lost a lot of blood. They didn't know if he was going to be able to race again, walk again, and here he is coming out dancing like a, a crazy guy. He was just fantastic. James Hinchcliffe, my number nine on the top male dancers list. Number eight, uh, a young kid, Milo Mannheim, season 27, second place. Uh, I think he was only 17 years old, tall, lanky kid, full of energy. Uh, he, to me, he was kind of a, a young Riker Lynch, and we'll talk about Riker down the road here, but uh, really, really good. And he should have won season 27 after Juan Pablo was, was uh, eliminated. We'll talk about him a little bit later. Uh, that was the awful season where Bobby Bones won and just a totally non-legitimate winner and so forth. But Milo was the best of the rest that was left. Tanache was another female dancer in that season that was eliminated super early and we never got a chance to uh, see her. So uh, season 27 was so god-awful that they actually changed the rules and now have a judge's save, which of course should have been done years ago. But that's a different story. <laughs> Milo Mannheim, though, a lot of energy, uh, did a really good job of leading his partner around, his professional partner as a 17-year-old young man or young boy. Uh, so he's my number eight uh, participant on the top male dancers list. Uh, number seven, this is going way back, season three, Mario Lopez. Uh, Mario probably should have won, well, no doubt in my mind, he should have won season uh, three. Emmett Smith won that season. Emmett was great. But Emmett was limited as far as I was concerned. He could do a few things really, really well, where Mario could do everything very well. There wasn't anything his partner Karina couldn't give him that, that Mario couldn't do. And he was always a little bit in Emmett's shadow because Emmett was such a, a good guy and he looked good in everything and always smiling and a friend of the show that Mario didn't have much of a chance, I don't think, that season. Plus, the judges, especially Len, was really, were really rough on him. Even though he had a huge overall cumulative average score, uh, we played his tango critique a few weeks back on this broadcast, and Len you know, gave him a six when it was probably worthy of a 10 because he broke hold in the tango, and he had a problem with breaking rules in a lot of his dances. And his partner, Karina, they were both an item at the time, she wouldn't rein him in. Uh, that was, you know, kind of a tough deal. She she seemed to bow down to him and do what do what he wanted to do, and it hurt him in some of their scores. But as far as a good dancer, boy, there was none better in season three. As far as I was concerned, we got a little audio here of the judges talking to Mario. You'll hear uh, Carrie Ann and Bruno uh, saying very positive things, and Len said a little bit positive, but then he's got to get in his dig because Len was kind of a hater of Mario. Let's see what our judges thought. Let's start with Carrie Ann this time. Okay, you guys are certainly not making it easy for us at all. This is going to be such a tough night for us to judge. You guys are impeccable. Okay, what I have to say about this one is for the first time, I really saw you actually enjoying yourself completely. Something, you rose to a new level tonight. Normally it's Emmett who wows the crowd, but this time you had something really special out there. Not to mention every step perfect. Clean, it was precise, it had good rhythm. I can't believe the standard of this. You messed up the running promenades. You got on the wrong foot, so that was all I could. 
right, Bruno. I didn't see it. Well, I thought that was scintillating. You really, as Carrie Ann said, you took over the dance floor. You had a great time. You brought the audience with you. It was a very complicated technical routine, and you took a great chance coming in the final and going forward with such a difficult routine. Well done. All right, guys. Congratulations. Head on back for your score. Okay, you heard Carrie Ann and Bruno just talk about how great he was, and then Len had to get that thing. He missed the running promenades, and or, uh, Carrie Ann just chimed in and said, I didn't see it, so uh, I don't know if it really happened or not. But uh, anyways, it just gives you an idea how much they did like Mario overall. So he's my number seven on the list. Number six, season 19 champion Alfonso Robero. I can't believe I have Alfonso this low because he has always been one of my favorites. He had a top 10 freestyle that I liked. Uh all his dances were just good, and uh, there's not too much to say about him. He could do everything, too. I guess the only reason I have him a little lower is because he was 43 when he won, and that's not old, but when you're comparing a 43-year-old to a 25-year-old or a 30-year-old, there are certain movements they can't do as well or as fluidly as that younger person, and everybody on the list... I believe, yeah, everybody on the list above him is younger. And that might have been played into it a little bit too, but Alfonso Ribeiro, a great champion, deservedly so, season 19 champion, number six on my list. And he's one of the few champions. You heard about Rashad Jennings earlier. Of the top 10, only three of my guys won the championship. Lots of various reasons for some of those, but uh, that's kind of an interesting sidebar, I guess. Uh, number five on my list, uh, the aforementioned Riker Lynch. He was in season 20. 23-year-old kid, second place again, lost to Rumor Willis. Again, yeah, that was a pick em. They were both fantastic. So I, I don't think you can get too upset that Rumor won over Riker. I know some people do. But for me, it's more about just so we have a valid champion, and, and Rumor was fantastic. But Riker finished second. He was one of those guys full of energy, a young kid. Uh, intensity, power, he had for such a young guy, and he did it with control. Early on in the season, he was a little hectic and a little out of control, but he kept getting better and better. And we do have a little audio here of him also, I believe. And this is just the judges kind of talking about his uh, Viennese waltz and how much they liked it. Hey, you were like a raging torrent of emotions. Wow, what intensity. And yet... Such control of execution is so difficult to maintain a Venice walls with such power and yet keeping the frame. Your head is better than last week. You were running smoothly and you were giving it so much guts. <laughs> It was bold, it was full on, and yet you still kept clarity of movement. I would have liked a little bit more in hold. Are you in four? This is just not to you, this is a criticism of everyone. It's all losing what it should be. It's all becoming Contemporary and show dance, I want to see a bit of Viennese waltz in there. And as great as it was, I'm an old guy, and that's what I want to see. Okay, All, right, I that. All right, I wanted to play that because I wanted to 
you guys to hear Len there. And that's one of the reasons I love Len. Yeah, sometimes he does get a little too cranky and a little too mean with people and a little too crazy with the scores. Um, but he's a traditionalist, and I love that. You should be a traditionalist on this show. And it's okay to be emotional and because it's a good dance and they did great things, give him a good score. But it's a Viennese waltz, this one was. And it's got certain movements that need to be in it. And if they're not in it, I have no problem with Len calling them out. But you heard the other two judges. Riker was a great dancer, um, and he made number five on my list. Number four on my list, Juan Pablo de Pache, season 27. It pains me to say this, fifth place. <laughs> Juan Pablo probably should have won that season. Uh, geez, fourth best dancer in my in my uh, rankings of, the, of male dancers of all time. He's got a top 10 dance of mine. He's got a top 10 sexy dance of mine. Uh, he was so robbed. Uh, if nothing else, he needed to be in the final with uh, Milo, who we talked about earlier, Milo Mannheim, and Tanache, in my opinion, a female. I would have loved to seen them go head to head. You know, Juan Pablo was an older guy pushing 40, but what a Latin lover, great looking guy that could move his hips like nobody's business. And Riker Lynch, I'm sorry, not right. It was a Riker. No, it was Milo who was in with him. Uh, tall, lanky, 17-year-old kid. Total contrast. But I would have loved to seen them go head to head in the finale. And uh, then, then, then let the, the fans decide if you have to. But for him not even get to the finale was ridiculous. We talked about him a little while ago in uh, sessions past, but Juan Pablo de Pache, season 27, my number four top 10 male dancer of all time. Uh, number three, guy named Gilles Marini, going back to season eight. He also competed in season 15, the all-star edition. Finished in the second place in season eight. Another guy that probably should have won that season, but again, you can't argue with the winner, Sean Johnson. She's a top five or 10 female dancer of all time. And, you know, he, I hate to say it, she didn't really take the title. I think Gilles lost it. And we talked about this a while back, too, uh, with his freestyle. His freestyle was just awful. And not his dance technique, because he's a great dancer, but Cheryl, his partner, picked a weird song, weird choreography, and a weird outfit for him. And go back and look at the judges. Even Bruno was, like, laughing a little bit, like, what is that? And, but he was such a good dancer, they still scored him fairly well. But he didn't get all 10s, thank goodness. And I think that's why he lost it. And supposedly that was the closest uh, final of all time. Less than 1% separated he and Sean Johnson. But Gilles has a uh, top 10 dance of all my, of my, of my time, all time. And I do have a little uh, audio here of this. And this one's funny because uh, Cheryl, or not Cheryl, Carrie Ann was going on and on about his dance so much so that she fell out of her chair. And you'll kind of hear it. It'll be a lot of chaos here as we talk about, or as they talk about it. They love it. Bruno, we'll start with you. That was not a dance. That was masterclass theater. You were expressing every movement as if it were words. The a cappella section was superb. You managed to maintain the rhythm and the musicality without music, which is incredible to see. Gripping, thrilling. It was really one of the best performances I've seen. All right. Thank you. That was ridiculous. How about, oh! Are you, wow. Wow. Okay. 
right. Go ahead. Continue. By the way, let me just let me just when when you said let the baby making begin, I didn't think you'd get in position. Anytime like that. You know what? It was gorgeous. It was such the perfect balance between romance, sensuality, and elegance in poetry and motion. All right. <laughs> you turned October into October. I'm telling you, that was a blockbuster. Of, it should be Oscar nominated. It had everything. I was a little concerned. That Wow, there you go, Len, really going crazy. He did have a little negative there at the end that I just cut off, but uh, Gilles Marini, they loved him. Carrie Ann loved him. And she actually fell off her chair because she was leaning back with her hands in the air about how great a dance it was. And Gilles went over and helped her up and he gave her a big hug. And, and it was so funny, uh, Bruno then, <laughs> he uh, kind of falls over on the top of the scorer's desk and says, me too, me too. And Jules went over, gave him a kiss on the forehead or something. So uh, one of the many little uh, moments on this show that makes this show so great. Gilles Marini, number three on my list. By the way, Gilles is the, he's the top male in terms of cumulative average score in the history of a show. Uh, over 28 points a dance. I think it was 28.1. And think about that. That's a is that a 10, 10, 9? No, it's a 10, 9, 9 that you're getting every time you dance to average 28.1. Amazing. Um, number two on my list, and this guy I didn't think would ever be replaced. When I saw him dance, I remember thinking, this guy's my number one of all time, and I don't think it's ever going to change. And I think it may surprise a few people. From season 17, second place, Corbin Blue. A lot of people don't mention him when they talk about the greatest dancers in the history of the show, and I do not understand why. And I felt really uh, validated at one point because let's go back and talk about Alfonso Ribeiro. He was at Super Bowl up in Minnesota when we were working it for the ticket a few years back. And the hard line had Alfonso on. And they, of course, were nice enough to let me ask a question. And I specifically asked Alfonso that time, name your, five, your top five male dancers in the history of the show. You know, a guy who loves the show, who knows the show, who's been there and done it. And who at that time was in my top five, and I told him that. And he says, yeah, I would include me. But then he listed his top five, and he did list Corbin Blue in his top five. And so that validated it for me. I know I'm okay with this. So even if you guys don't know him or remember him, go take a look at some of his dances. He has a top 10 freestyle of all mine, of all time for me, a top 10 dance of all time. And like I said, I didn't think he would ever be replaced. But uh, I guess records are made to be broken. And so my number one... He's number two on the list. My number one top male dancer of all time is... Jordan Fisher. And I don't think that should be a surprise to too many people. On all the lists I've seen, uh, Jordan's always up there on it, if not the number one. And when I watch Jordan Fisher... Uh, Again, he has a top 10 freestyle of mine that uh, puts him on the list just because usually if you have a top 10 dance or freestyle that I like, you're probably going to be on my list. But there were so many times when I watched he and his partner, Lindsay, dance that if I was somebody just coming off the street and someone said, tell me who the pro is, I wouldn't have been able to tell. And I swear to you, there were multiple dances when I would watch them and I would say, I think Jordan is dancing better than his pro partner. 
And that's not a knock on Lindsay at all. Lindsay actually had a, a knee problem that season, and she had to wear a brace for a while, and she was having some troubles. So maybe that affected her dance. But Jordan, that's just how good Jordan Fisher is. And uh, I actually did a show, Good Morning Texas, here. Uh, it's a TV show, and they were, had me on as an expert witness or <laughs> expert panelist of Dancing with the Stars. And there was a uh, dance instructor on with me, and we were critiquing one of Jordan's dances. And he actually said his first thing out of his mouth was, uh, Jordan, if you're looking for a dance instructor position, you know, we have openings because he's so good. You wouldn't have to teach this guy anything to teach others. So uh, Jordan Fisher, my number one. Uh, we do have a little audio of him here, and I uh, thought it'd be fun to play just listening to the judges talk about him. And Len says something that really tells you a lot. All right, let's uh, go to Carrie Ann first. Really, there's, there's not much left to say. There's your skills are just ridiculously out of this world. But what's amazing is you're an incredible dancer, an incredible performer, but what, what I've noticed the most, which makes you stand out to me, is what you've done with Lindsay. Lindsay has actually grown as a pro with you, and that is a testament to you. You are spectacular, and Lindsay, you made him spectacular too. Well, I... I'm just scribbling out a word on my little quick note. The word is probably, I think you are the most complete male celebrity ever on Dancing with the Stars. Here we go. I couldn't agree more. You're right up there with the best that we have ever seen on this show. So there you go, both Bruno and Len, especially Len, the old crusty guy, the traditionalist that wants to see technique. He basically said, yeah, they're the best I've ever seen on the show. So uh, I think I feel validated with that choice too. But I think everybody pretty much recognizes Jordan's unbelievable talent. So uh, Jordan Fisher, my number one male dancer in the history of the show. Okay, let's uh, do a little ticket audio here. We always try to throw a little bit of that in for those of you that don't know. Uh, I work at the place called The Ticket. It's a radio station in Dallas, and none of this would be happening without The Ticket. And those guys took this bit of my liking Dancing with the Stars and ran with it. Last week, we played some audio from The Gentle Musers, the morning show at The Ticket. And in the early days, they embraced the bit, especially one Junior Miller, one of their on-air hosts. And they found out about it, and they had me come on their show a lot. Heck, I was in Gordo's Corner, which is a segment they run two or three times, I think. George and Craig had me on their first segment when I would do remotes with them two or three times. Uh, they let me talk to the P1 to help get tickets for the show when we were having trouble getting tickets. So the Musers were big fans of it. And we played some audio last week that of the time I was on with them. But something changed at some point. And I know George, one of the people on the show, has never liked it. And Gordon, I think, is indifferent to it as a three-man show. And then Junior is the one that would bring it to the airways. And uh, their producer doesn't like it either very much. So I'm sure they all got to Junior and said, hey, let's stop this. And or Junior just got tired of it. I don't know. But uh, he was such a big fan of it in the beginning. Not sure exactly what happened. But I wanted to play a couple clips here. One from the Musers and then one from the Hardline Afternoon Show. And these are the two iconic shows at the station, you know, Morning Drive and Afternoon Drive. Um, at the time, the founder of the station was still working the Hardline Show. And just listen to how these guys kind of react differently. This is a Musers little clip. It's only 10 seconds long. I'm chiming in with about a person named Misha Barton being on the show. And just listen to these guys' uh, reaction to this. 
Free on the ticket. Coming up next, Friday morning scatter shooting. This is the ticket. What do you have in mind? 23 years as the... Well, that was wrong. <laughs> you would think I would have this down by now. TC, you may want to do something here or not. Here we go. Day off. <laughs> hey, did you know Misha was on Dancing with the Stars? Oh, oh gosh, gosh, Tony, gosh, give us a break, would you? On that note, Bert, who hasn't been on Dancing it's with the Stars? Just a fun fact. Well, you kind of heard him there. It wasn't awful, but it was like, oh, my gosh, give me a break. Who hasn't been on the show? And they kind of groaned and everything. So then we go to the hard line, and I did the same thing. And listen to their reaction. Great. You, really? Yeah. Did you guys know Tucker Carlson was on Dancing with the Stars? <laughs> <laughs> Dancing with the Stars. Dancing with no, the Stars. I didn't, what year? Tony. No, not uh, year. What season? Or what season? Uh, that would have been season three. Where did he finish? Last place. Oh, no. Who won that year? Emmett. All right. I didn't want to play it all of it. But, yeah, you heard him. Corby laughs. And Mike wants to ask me some questions about it. And David Mino, the board op, plays the Dancing with the Stars drop. And a little bit different reaction, I would say, from one show to the other. I want to do a couple more just for fun. Uh, this, again, is the Musers, and they're talking about uh, David Hasselhoff. And, again, listen to how everybody piles on in their hatred for the bit. Hey, George. Uh, yeah? I hesitate to mention this, but David was on Dancing with the Stars. Oh, my God. Oh, God. God. Can we just go without... Why didn't you hesitate, like, all shows? with the ding dong. Well, George seems extra angry today about it. I'm not... <laughs> oh my gosh, did you hear the audible groan? And even their producer was saying, Oh gosh, and can we and George says, can we just go one segment without talking about dancing with the ding-dongs? Well, yeah, we can, George. Um, I went back and I looked at how many times I worked with you one year. One calendar year, I worked with you guys eight times. That means we had 104 segments that I was there with you that season or that year. And of those 104 segments I, segments, I had three mentions in 104 segments. That's 97% of the time I don't say anything. So when you ask, can we just go one segment without hearing Dancing with the ding -dong, Ding-Dongs? Yeah, we can go 97% of them, Chief. Ooh, I shouldn't have chiefed him. Just, just kidding, George. You know I love you. But uh, you, you heard there that just total disdain. Now, again, let's go to a hardline one and see if you notice the difference of how they react. Jennifer Gray and, and Swayze, and they, yeah. like, dance their way to love. To love. Is that what happened? Yeah. All right. Did you know Jennifer Gray won Dancing with the Stars? Whoa! It's Tony! Dancing with the Stars. Dancing with the Stars. She won Dancing with the Stars. Season 11. Dancing with the Stars. Dancing with the Stars. Dancing with the Stars. Dancing with the Stars. Oh boy. Oh, you're wonderful. I love the dancing with the you're stars wonderful. along. Dancing with the stars. 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 Wow. That's so much fun. It makes me smile. Isn't it fun to laugh a little bit and have be nice to each other? <laughs> Anyways, the hard line. You know, they go crazy again. The, the board op participates in having drops. They question me. The producer was involved. And uh, gosh, you know, just a little snip at a time doesn't kill them anything. And uh, they had a good time with it. So what a difference between the morning drive and the afternoon drive. So uh, I think when people protest uh, on the show like George that they really don't mind a bit, I think uh, the actions speak louder than the words. Um, there was another time when I would 
asked if I could come on the Musers a lot because they have a lot of guests and a lot of people that have been on Dancing with the Stars. And every other show at the station has allowed me to come on and ask their guests questions. So, you know, when Alfonso Rivero came on at Super Bowl, Hardline said, sure, you can ask him a question. Every time I've asked the Musers, the answer is always no. And the very first time I went to Junior, who would have been the person to go to, and it was for Michael Irvin, because there is one question, or there's one guy, well, two guys if you count Jerry Rice, and I do. Michael Irvin and Jerry Rice are the two guys that could answer this question. I have a question for both or either of them that only they could answer, and I know they'd get a kick out of it. Heck, they, you know, Michael talks about school closings with the musers. They have fun with him, so I don't know why they won't allow it other than that they hate the bit and they hate me or both. <laughs> but uh, I wanted to come on and ask uh, Michael a question, and this was the very first time I tried this with Junior. And I told him, I said, you know, I've done this before. Bad Radio had me on last week. They let me ask Ralph Macchio a question. It went well. Junior wrote back to me and he says, hmm, you know, H-M-M-M, hmm, let me run it by the guys. And I'm like, uh-oh, well, it's positive that he's going to run it by the guys, but negative, George won't allow this. And uh, they were talking about having Michael on the next day, so I, he, I texted him that previous day. Never heard anything back the rest of the day. So I get up at 5.30 a.m. the next morning thinking, okay, Junior's going to text me and tell me I can do this. And um, 6.30 comes and nothing. And I'm like, I got to text him again because Michael's coming on in an hour or two. And I text Junior back and I say, hey, did you ask the guys? And I said, you know, and this was pathetic, I know, but I was wanting to do it so badly because it's just one question for Michael Irvin. Uh, I'll donate to your charity. He's got the Captain Hope kids or something. And, and George has a senior source and and uh, Gordo has big brothers, big sisters. I said, I'll donate to all your charities if I can come on and ask Michael this one question. And Junior never got back to me. So that broke my heart. And he didn't even respond to say, no, we're not doing it. But uh, so I knew then it was probably not going to happen. But then I asked him when they had Emmett on and they said no. Then DeMarcus Ware and they said no. And in fact, the funny thing was with DeMarcus Ware, they had him on and finished talking with him. And then Junior brings it up that he was on the show. And I'm like, why, why did they need to do this? Well, hear what they had to say after they had DeMarcus Ware on and after they said I couldn't come on to ask him a question. <laughs> okay, so DeMarcus Ware is on season 27, Dancing with the Stars. Our Dancing with the Stars expert, Engineer Tony, oh. sent me a text before that segment. May I call in and ask DeMarcus a Dancing with the Stars question? Uh, I just texted back, no. <laughs> You're such a jerk to Tony. <laughs> always Ooh, hurts to hear that one again. Yeah, if you, if you heard, this is why I think it's personal with George. I what I do to him. I gave him a dog, for God's sake. Hank, I don't know if we talked about that or not. Hey, I, I always love George for this. He took a dog off my hands that I found as a stray, and he gave him a great home for many, many years. But Junior says... Uh, to, you know, Tony's our, our, our Dancing with the Stars expert or something. And George groans when he hears my name. And I'm not even there, you know, and they're not even talking about it hardly. And then uh, Junior mentions, you know, I wrote him and just said no. And George laughed at that. And then Gordon kind of stuck up for me, although it's just all for fun. And he said, you're, you're always such a jerk to Tony. And George says, no, he's not. So again, I don't know why I'm not there, but they had to, had to get that in, I guess. And then to give you one more audio here from the ticket, and this is Giorgio again. Giorgio goes way out of his way. I was on with Bad Radio and he was calling into Bad Radio and Bad Radio talked about my Dancing with the Stars watching party that was coming up. So I was engineering for them. So George knows I was there and I don't have a problem with this. This is what we do at the ticket. 
Um, and it was funny too to me, and all this is funny to me too, but it's kind of hurtful at the same time. And I don't mean it really, but I kind of do. It's weird. It's a weird feeling. But George had this to say out of the blue. I'm just engineering there. He's calling in for his football picks to bad radio. Football job. Yeah. Hey, Georgie. Hey, I got a question about our Dancing with the Stars contest. Okay. Okay, you, George. That if you do, if you do win, do we uh, furnish the gun too to blow your brains out if you do win? <laughs> well, there you go. Uh, a gigantic laugh from Jake. This was before Jake was one of the big nine, and uh, he really loved it. So that was funny. But then three years later, listen to the same kind of thing and listen to Jake's reaction. Not nearly as crazy. And boy, George went away, way around the base for this little joke that he was trying to do. This just happened last week. So the bit and the hatred is still there. He uh, called in for some reason. They were doing a segment after I had done my call in. So I'm not even there. I'm not on the show. I'm not engineering because they're in studio. And George goes out of his way to kind of, I guess, Give me another shot. And I guess this was called a joke. But listen to the reaction of uh, the hang zone, Jake, and then you'll not hear much from Dan. And this is news. Yeah. And I, I got to tell you, I also got distracted. I have a friend who works for, I know this is kind of a roundabout thing, but he works for the CIA. And I was just looking at his like every three months. It's like um, different things. It's all been declassified. And he said that the latest torture tactics by... I guess it's just uh, any sort of terrorist in the Middle East. Um, one is a wood plane on your shin. Uh-huh. Uh, the second is some sort of eyedropper with acid, just different body parts. Uh-huh. And uh, the third is taking a flight to Los Angeles, waiting in line for three hours, and then watching an entire taping of Dancing with the Stars with Tony. Wow, yeah. That must be why the nation. That's uh, been, third. That's this why week. the nation's been so safe. You know, <laughs> nobody wants to play around with that. You get all the info. I'm sorry, that was a cheap shot. Hey, to Tony each is his a own. freak, though. It. Well, you heard that one, boy. That was a long road to get to that. <laughs> and uh, Jake really didn't laugh. He just kind of was like, "Oh yeah." And then if you heard Dan, and I don't know if Dan was not paying attention or if he was really backing me up here. But uh, he didn't laugh, and at the very end of that, he says, hey, to each his own. So if that was support, Dan, thank you very much. You know I love you no matter what. But uh, interesting stuff there. So I don't know why George keeps protesting that he doesn't mind the bit. But uh, there's a little audio evidence that uh, suggests otherwise. Okay, well, what we like to do, too, let's get back to some Dancing with the Stars stuff, is uh, look back at the old seasons of Dancing with the Stars. There have been so many of them. We're looking at three a week. Uh, this is going to be seasons 13 through 15, and uh, we're starting to catch up on seasons here, but it still was a ways back, but I do remember it like it was yesterday. Ah, yes, yeah, season 13 was what we'll start off with here. It premiered in September of 2011, had 12 couples in it. J.R. Martinez was your champion. Rob Kardashian was second. Here we go again with that. <laughs> and Ricky Lake was third. <laughs> this was kind of an, an odd duck season, you know. Uh, it, it, it had a lot of characters in it, a lot of people that I guess you would say were not the norm, let's say. Uh, J.R. Martinez, the champion, he was an Iraqi war veteran, I believe, and he had a big problem with uh, getting burned, and he had a lot of facial disca disca uh, 
scarring and all over his body. And it was a heartwarming season because he came on and was very emotional about it from time to time. And, you know, he said, you know, after this happened, I can't imagine ever going out in public again or having a pretty girl say I'm beautiful. And, you know, his partnership with Karina was fantastic. She was great with him. And uh, gosh, what a great dancer. So uh, really nice to see JR uh, win that season. Season 13 was kind of a down season. So there wasn't a ton of talent to give him a lot of uh, uh, competition. Rob Kardashian was great in second place. He definitely would be in my Hall of Fame for most improved. Started out a little rough and just kept getting getting better and better and better. And then Ricky Lake, who finished third, actually was first on the judges' scorecard. That's kind of unique. Someone who finished first on the judges' scorecard uh, finishing in third. Um, Let's see some of the other people in the season. Hope Solo, kind of a bad egg. Boy, she and her partner Max, they got into it a ton. Uh, We're going to get into that in some later episodes of the Ballroom Blitz about their interesting relationship. Chaz Bono, a transgender person. You know, he was uh, Chastity Bono, uh, the daughter of uh, Sonny and Cher. And then he transitioned to a male and called himself Chaz. Carson Kressley, an openly uh, homosexual man on the show. Not that that hadn't been done before, but uh, with this conservative base, you always hear rumblings about what's he on there for. So, but I was, it was great. He was a lot of fun. Um, and then we had three gorgeous young women, China Phillips, Kristen Cavallari, and Elizabeth Canales, who finished in the bottom because that's the way beautiful young women who can dance are treated on this show by the voting public lots of times. Um, this was interesting, too, in that this was the beginning for Val and Peta, two of the pro dancers, and they kind of were the leaders of the next generation of pros. The older generation of pros was still there, still going strong, but this this is when they introduced Val and Peta, and they started their their rise to become the new alpha male of uh, an alpha female of the dancing pros. Uh, this was the first season when another kind of transition here that we had no original pros uh, from the uh, the early days. And uh, I'm talking very early days, you know, season one. So that was kind of unique. Um, let's see, anything else? Oh, I did talk about Chaz Bono, you know, the trans- transgender person that was in the show. Unfortunately, yeah, we've got a lot of conservative viewers on the show who don't like anything out of the norm. And there was an awful lot of death threats against him. And the show actually had to increase their security uh, for his protection. Really, really sad thing there. But uh, I'm glad he got to participate. Um for me anyways, this was really big. They added a third floor to the ballroom, so it increased the capacity for people, and maybe that's part of the reason I was able to go these last few years, that the ballroom got a little bigger. And uh, I mentioned Karina being the partner to uh, um, J.R. Martinez, the champion, and this was her first and only win as a pro, and she's another uh, foot soldier for the pros. Boy, she was in 18 seasons, I believe, second only to Cheryl Burke in terms on the female side of how many seasons the pro got to work. So uh, she was a big part of the show for many years, and that was her only uh, championship. Season 14 premiered in March of 2012. Again, 12 couples. Uh, Donald Driver was your champion, the football player. Uh, Catherine Jenkins, an opera singer from Europe, was second and William Levy was third. That's a pretty stout final three there in terms of talent. Uh, Donald Driver, kind of an upset win, actually finished third on the judges' scorecard and then won the competition. That didn't happen very often. It only happened one other time in the show's history, and that was Kelly Monaco season one, which a lot of weird things were going on then. But uh, I'm convinced Donald won because of his freestyle. The freestyle is the final dance that the public gets to vote on, 
He has a top 10 freestyle of mine all time. We'll certainly talk about that down the road. And I think that swayed a lot of voters. The judges loved it. We're going to listen to them down the road too, how much they liked it. But I think that's why he won it. And I always think of him when I think of the freestyle could win a season for you. And I always think of Gilles when I think Gilles Marini, when I think about the freestyle can lose a season for you. Um, it was a deep season. Six good dancers. Maria Menounos, Rashawn Fagan, Julia White, I think you could put in there. Uh, Catherine Jenkins, who finished second, was kind of the front runner the entire season. What a talented woman, great opera singer, great dancer, beautiful woman. I thought she was going to win it, but then Donald uh, just hung in there, hung in there, and came up with that incredible freestyle. And then William Levy, the third place finisher, and boy, he was the prototypical Latin lover, uh, kind of a hunky guy. Not only was he ripped, like a lot of guys are on this show, in great shape, but he was thick. You know, he was a big, thick man in ripped, and uh Hard not to have a little crush on him, whether I'm not gay, but you know, good looking guy. I would love to look like somebody like that. And boy, he just uh, knocked, the, knocked the socks off those Latin dances. He was really good at those. Uh, Donald became, Donald Driver became the third NFL player to win after Emmett Smith and Heinz Ward. One other has Rashad Jennings. So four of the 23 football players that have done the show uh, have won. And this was Peta Murgatroyd's first win as a pro. She would go on to win another one, and I had mentioned in the season 13 recap that Peta and Val were kind of like the next uh, leaders of the pro group, and here you are, Peta, getting her first championship in her second season. Okay, let's go to season 15, and season 15 was an interesting season. It was the All-Star Edition, premiered in September of 2012, went to 13 couples. Melissa Rycroft was your champion. Sean Johnson was second. Kelly Monaco was third. The first time we ever had a final three of all females in the show's history. It's happened one other time since then. Um, season 15 was done as an all-star edition, I think, because one of the reasons was to stop the ratings slide. There was a ratings drop going on, and they wanted to stop it, so they were going to you know, have all-stars come in. And I thought it was a good idea. It didn't really work. And part of it, I think, was it wasn't executed very well. I had so many recommendations to how to do this, and none of them were followed. So why wouldn't they listen to me? <laughs> um, I thought first, if you're going to have people come back, they either need to be all champions or no champions. I didn't think there was a reason to have a mixture. Why have some champions and some that didn't win? To me, it's like you give all the champions a chance to be the king of kings, or you don't have any of them in there, and you give the people who finished second and third who had an argument to maybe winning, give them a second chance. But they didn't. They mixed it all up. Um, and then they added three people that, in my opinion, did not deserve to be there on their quality of dance. Bristol Palin, Pam Anderson, and Kirstie Alley. To me, if you're going to have an all-star edition, you better have the cream of the crop there. I don't know. Maybe they had trouble filling it out. But uh, they were all very popular on the show, so that's probably part of it. And then the other thing was, if you're going to come back and do the all-star edition, you don't get your same partner. Either everybody gets the same partner or nobody does. And again, they mixed it up. Five of the people got their old partner. I think that's an incredible advantage when you already know your old partner from the, the old days. And sure enough, Melissa and Tony, who were partners in season eight, they ended up winning it. So I thought there were a lot of problems with it. And obviously, it didn't stop the rating slide. Uh, Sabrina Bryan was in this season again. She was the most wrong person ever on my list. Uh, if you remember, I did that a couple weeks ago, and she was again wronged into this year. She was uh, eliminated in eighth place exactly five years to the day she was eliminated in season five. And she was eliminated on a perfect score, which I always do not like. I don't think you can get a perfect score from the judges and go home, but she did. 
And then also uh, she had the highest cumulative average of the All-Stars at the time of her elimination. Think about that a minute. The best of the best back there, she had the highest average on the judges' scorecard and she still went home because of no fan support. So kind of sad how that worked out, but uh, I like the idea of an All-Star edition. I just didn't like the execution of it. And this was Tony Dovolani's only win as a pro. The guy who I believe has been on 21 seasons, the workhorse for the pros on the male side, his first and only championship. Okay, let's talk a little bit about our contest as we wrap up here. Uh, for those of you that know, we're giving away a round-trip ticket to see Dancing with the Stars live and in person in Season 31. Basically, I'm asking you a question each week. You're going to write down the answers, and at the end of our broadcast season here, which, gosh, we're halfway through it now, is uh, we'll get all the answers emailed to me, and then we'll pick a winner. Um, if there's a tie we'll have a tie-breaking question for everybody. So we'll probably stop that a week or two before the season's going to end. So what I'm doing is I'm asking a question from the prior week's show. And uh, last week's podcast, we talked about, again, Tony Dovolani. And our top 10 list was about the worst 10 female dancers of all time. And I mentioned that Tony was stuck with five of those gals, five of my top 10 worst dancers and uh, female dancers in the history of the show. He was their partner. And he stuck it out and did a great job with him, best he could. But he did have an exceptional problem with one of his partners. And we played the audio clip. There was one in particular that he had so much trouble with that he laid down, laid down his microphone in rehearsal and said, I quit. Who was the celebrity partner Tony had at the time when he said, I quit to? And that is the question for the week. Turn out the lights. The party's over. They say that all good things must end. Call it a night. The party's over. And tomorrow and next year starts the same old thing again. Yeah. Well, once again, Dandy Don Meredith plays this out. And uh, that means it's time for us to go. We don't have to go home, but we do have to get out of here. And one of the things we also like to do as we're uh, leaving the show is play a tune. There it is. From a former contestant of Dancing with the Stars. Let's listen a little bit. That, of course, is the great Patti LaBelle. Patti was on season 20, finishing in eighth place. Patti was 70 years old when she was on the show. And she was not in my top 10 worst dancers of all time because I exempted all people over 70. She might not have been in it anyways, but uh, she gave it a try. Great dancer, of course. This is her song, Lady Marmalade, from uh, way back in the 70s. She was the sixth oldest person to compete on Dancing with the Stars. He's trying to lower the volume a little bit. Let's figure out how to do that. <laughs> and then she came back and was in the 10th anniversary special uh, with Little Kim and Amber Riley and did this song. So a good friend of the show. Okay, well, that does it for this week. Uh, I want to thank TC again for allowing me to use his studio. And, of course, a big thank you to all you for listening out there. 
Next week on the show is Grease Night on Dancing with the Stars. They're going to be playing all the different songs from uh, Grease, the movie. So if you're a fan of that, you'll probably have a good time with all that. And of course, we'll be back next week. We'll talk about the Grease Night results and anything else uh, having to do with Dancing with the Stars. So once again, for uh, Tony the Engineer, I'm saying it for myself. (laughs) Thanks for being here, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.